So we have to begin with some tragic news. Uh, a metal legend has passed away. Ozzy Osbourne. Dead. The guy before Dio. Now he's before St. Peter, begging for forgiveness <laughs> for his sins. For when he's right. that are, Which are many. For uh, peeing in the pool. Or no, he peed on he peed on the cement outside a pool and then licked it up. I think that's <laughs> well, that was happened. nice of him to lick it up. Yeah, that's what that Kiss song was about. Lick it up. <laughs> it's about licking up Ozzy's pee. That was in the Motley Crue movie, where they're hanging out with Ozzy Osbourne. He like drinks some pee, and uh, they're like, "Damn, this guy's so awesome." <laughs> that's a really roll. cool thing to do. <laughs> that's so, so so fucking sick. This guy who's just been on a bender for six years is like hitting rock bottom. That's so that's so it's rock and amazing. roll. This, this is awesome. We should tell our friend Gene Simmons to write a song called Lick It Up. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we don't have any confirmation that Ozzy's dead. We're just assuming he must be. Because for the first time ever, CryptoBats has had a slight sustained uptick in the value. We're looking at, as of April 20th, they're coming in at 0.3 ETH. <laughs> which is, uh, what, last time we talked, they were at like one, 0.17 or something? So that's the biggest sustained uptick that we've ever seen what you're saying is they've almost doubled in value yeah that's right so our advice to listeners last week is buy 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 yes yeah. now as much as 15 percent, as much as it was originally worth yeah rather than there's 10 no or eight there's nowhere to go but up mostly up you could go a little bit down and it would uh reduce the value to zero but mostly the path is upward that's a safe bet. There are no news articles about crypto bats, so I don't know. Going by the method of trusting actuaries, trusting the Financial Times to know what's really going on, the guys looking at the spreadsheets. Crunching the numbers. If you anything... Would you would have to assume that Ozzy died. Yeah. Like, if anything, though, like you're saying, like, you know, traditional financial metrics aren't going to predict the future of the NFT market. So if we're talking about music NFTs... I feel like we need to use the logic of music to figure out where it's going. And I think crypto bats are just going to follow a sine wave forever where they're going to get back up to that previous peak and at then some point. slowly drift back down. Exactly. So they started at that peak of about two ETH. So we know they're going to get back up there at some point. They're going to go all the way back on the same cycle. The smart move is to uh, calculate the distance between the peaks and valleys and then buy and sell accordingly. Yeah, yeah and right. then also turn up the frequency so it happens more often. So you can yeah, yeah. buy and sell every second. <laughs> you just uh, turn the rate knob up on that LFO. Yeah, get a nice hum. If your financial advisor isn't telling you to turn up the rate knob right now, fire them. Once we get that rate, uh, once we turn that knob up all the way and we get to uh, what they call audio rate, um, where, where it is uh, an audible frequency, then, um, then, then cash out. If we can figure out how to get a square wave going, that would be Ooh. fantastic. A nice plateau at the top <laughs> gives you plenty like, of time. You don't have to find the exact bottom. It's just two different states. Yeah. What you want to stay away from is the sawtooth tooth wave where uh, you know, you're know you going all the way up, 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 and then, whoa, all the way back down again. It's on a long slide. Yeah, it's like a roller coaster. Yeah, Sharp. it's good, for, good for music, but not a good financial instrument. Yeah, you want to have a nice, uh, you know, you you want to you want to have a nice logarithmic curve too, bringing you slowly back down to the bottom. You want to avoid yeah, these the are literally of... financial instruments we're talking about. 
Yeah, the most beautiful instrument of all. Some say the most beautiful instrument is a harp. I say it's a financial instrument. That's right. <laughs> Are these instruments controlled by MIDI? There's probably a way to do that. You can probably buy and sell by like hitting foot pedals. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure yeah. there's a way to set it up. I'm like high, high frequency trading that's just using MIDI information to trade really quickly. There's no human involved. Using an electronic drum set. I'm connecting my Yamaha MIDI saxophone to the uh, to the market, and I'm and I'm blo- I'm blowing some train. I'm uh, I'm 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 just soloing all over it. That is the dream of the yuppies. <laughs> Absolutely, was to be able to get an electronic saxophone. That plugs and plug sells it stocks for a, you. Fucking, <laughs> That's true. I'm plugging my mini sex with a five pin cable into my Bloomberg terminal. Yeah. And, and fucking playing along with a CD of Roland Kirk that cost me $50. You look out the window and everything's vaporwave now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess on that note, Dan, you've been playing an instrument of a different kind. Real instruments. <laughs> That's in the right. And arcade fire. <laughs> I have. I uh, now it can be told. Uh, I have been playing with arcade fire since. Uh, well, I was living in New York, New Orleans for a couple of months at least, on and off since November, and then uh, and then we played two shows, uh, two shows in New Orleans, and then four shows in New York, and then another big show in New Orleans, and just recently uh, Coachella. Yeah, I bet everyone was wondering. How come Dan was looking up uh, listings for Miller Lite Squires in New Orleans, and now they know? Yeah, now they know. I was on assignment. The band sent me out, and we're like, "You need to get us the coolest guitars you can find in the city." I yeah, it was and a if VPN. you noticed uh, on the Coachella stream, everyone in the band is playing Miller Lite uh, gear now. So, so the uh, as of two and a half weeks ago, that guitar is still for sale on New Orleans Craigslist. <laughs> It's still on. <laughs> I think I actually think, this is we need to convince Arcade Fire to buy it as a band expense rather than us buying it. Absolutely. Yeah, and then they can uh they can give it to us. I need to If it hasn't to, sold, you can probably get a good deal on it. Well, here's the weird thing. The listing disappeared and then it came back with a slightly higher price. Wow. <laughs> That's a good strategy. Wow, speaking of financial instruments, that guy doesn't yeah. understand how it works. Yeah. <laughs> You've got low demand. You don't make it more expensive. Well, nobody wants to buy a cheap piece of crap, you know? Yeah, here's That's the thing. True. When demand Some is low, a, if, you keep, effect. Uh, if you keep raising the price, eventually it's going to become a luxury good, and it'll mm-hmm. appeal to a different type of consumer. Yeah. yeah eventually, just... there'll be someone on YouTube who can make a clickbait video called Most Expensive Guitar, <laughs> and they can pay a million dollars for it. Exactly. And then it's the Miller Lite guitar, and people will think it'll be like... A, bb king's guitar or like the first fender or something but no it's that guitar and the person who's going to make that youtube video is win butler that's right hi guys remember to like and subscribe uh can you imagine uh being successful at something and then trying to become a youtuber even though you have something better you can do i guess that's kind of what john green did like he was he had that was probably a best-selling book he had like number one top of the charts and then he went back on youtube yeah like what what does it take to become a successful to like transition out of a career and become a successful YouTuber at you know forty or something like that? I, you need a special kind of brain. I guess if you have the audience, you can make a decent amount of money doing it just off ads. Oh yeah, but definitely. It's, it's a lot of time in front of a camera. I guess you can pay an editor. 
There's a guy in Canada um, who has a YouTube channel. Um, I'm not going to name him. He's pretty easy to look up, but uh, he's got a YouTube channel and he's kind of like a, he's kind of like a DSA Canada type guy. Like, like his heart's in the right place, you know, but he's, he's just in this like very influenced by American politics uh, approach kind of like was flirting with the NDP party for a while. Um, I think maybe he's abandoned them now, but all he puts out so much fucking content and every one of his videos is like Trump destroyed at like new public hearing or like Trump is finished. Like all caps. Like, yeah. (laughs) And he puts two to three of these videos out every, you know, every two days, days they get, so many views and he's he's got to be making an insane amount of money off of it but it just seems like so much work yeah i guess that's my like original idea that i was trying to get at is like if you don't have anything else going on then to make that ad revenue is definitely worth it for you but if you could do anything else you should probably do the other thing you have to have a natural affinity for it like hassan does yeah yeah Hassan, yeah Hassan is super good at it and and successful and this just seems like but to like box yourself into like doing like uh trump videos in 2022 yeah it sucks dude that's a that's like you've created your own little specific corner of hell that you live in and make money off of <laughs> i feel yeah. horrible for people who watch videos like that where they're basically watching msnbc mm-hmm. but it's yeah YouTube. that's a good point it's depressing to think about. There's so many better things you can watch. Yeah. Or watch a video of animals and stuff. Just watch yeah. fail vids if you're going to be on YouTube, yeah. I watched a great documentary about raccoons recently um, where it shows raccoons uh, adapting to their environment and doing uh, amazing shit like opening a tent flap, you know? Oh, man. Yeah, that rocks. It's good I stuff. saw one where it picked up a board and like nah, got it diagonally into a dumpster. Yeah, yes. And you used it as a staircase. That was oh, sick. That video rocks. That's amazing. Uh in the documentary that I watched I found out an amazing fact about raccoons in Japan, which is that um in 1977, I think, there was a really popular uh anime like cartoon on uh Japanese television called Rascal about um but a young boy and his trusty pet raccoon which created a a craze for importing raccoons who are not native (laughs) to Japan uh, and then people keeping them as as pets. And as the Japanese mammologist describes in the, in the documentary, um, what did she say? She said, people soon became tired of their disrespectful behavior and threw them away. (laughs) But so, so, so Japan has got this invasive species now, right? And the raccoons uh, move into the countryside, take over the city, you know. And one thing they start doing is destroying uh, 700-year-old Buddhist temples. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, they're Muslim. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which country did we get these from? Did we get these from Afghanistan? Just just amazing shit. Yeah, uh, that's really funny. The Japanese nation has a very complicated relationship with uh, raccoons right now. They probably have an island that's all raccoons, like Tanuki Rabbit Island, island. like the yeah. ca- the cat <laughs> island too. Yeah, how do yeah, how totally. do the Tanukis feel about this? Yeah, that's the same ecological that. niche, I think. Yeah, that is crazy. You know, you already had all this Tanuki lore. Mm-hmm. You didn't really need any raccoon lore. Yeah, raccoons have normal sized balls, I assume. 
But tanukis yeah. have big balls, and Japanese people love how big the balls are. Yeah, they're enormous. They love to there make statues be, um, of how big their balls are. There should be Japanese people breeding raccoons to have bigger balls. The original... <laughs> oh, um, God. <laughs> the original skin, like the original sprite for um, Mario in Super Mario Brothers 3, uh, when when you got the feather, it would give you enormous balls and the tanuki suit. <laughs> But they changed it for the North American market. That's true. I looked it up. It's true. No, Mario actually just had enormous balls since the first game. <laughs> but anyway, I guess we were talking about anyway, Arcade uh, Fire. Yeah, that's right. I feel like there's a uh, there's a like mixture of genuine things we could talk about and more ridiculous things that coincidentally tie into Fortune Kit. But um, oh, I guess I, one one interesting thing I wanted to ask that's like a genuine question. I was kind of wondering because it's such a weird. Weirdly specific dynamic with you and them of since you played on their first album, Low Those Many Years Ago, I'm curious like what your or anyone's recollection is anymore of who played what on that album. And like when you're relearning arrangements all these years later, was there even like the slightest thought of who had played what back then? Or was it just like everything's different at this point and just play this you know well i never i wasn't on the first album i was just playing in the band up until the recording of the first album oh so, okay i got gotcha. you yeah yeah but so but i have played all those old songs i did play all those old songs a million times when i was in the band and yeah so i guess in that sense were you playing the same parts now you did then or did everyone I forget what you were playing absolutely or? was not and i think it's i think it's changed over the years i mean i i have like a so for those songs i have kind of like a muscle memory for them but for a completely different instrument <laughs> that's really so, funny yeah so like i had to i had to like i've had to learn like 35 songs <laughs> yeah at that's least, crazy dude at least minimum uh I mean, we're not playing all of them, but when I when I first joined, I got a master list from Win, and then we had a rehearsal, and then we just kept adding songs and adding songs, and some of them I I kind of know instinctively, even if I didn't play them because I, I I just know them like yeah you know, something like Month of May for instance, like I know how that song goes. Um, others like Reflector, which I'm playing mostly synthesizers. I'd say like. 60% playing synths, 40% playing guitar. Um, but for like Reflector, it was just like, okay, rebuild all the synth, synth patches, learn these parts, listen to a show file, try and decode what people are doing, uh, replicate that, you know. So it was yeah. a lot of work. It was like a lot of work. That's, a, and, that's tough. And, and then going into rehearsals, right, I'd be like, that having to do that for, let's say let's say the first batch of songs we went over was like 18, 19 songs going into rehearsals and everyone else has muscle memory because they've played these songs a thousand times. And I'm just yeah. like, uh, all right, time to go. Let's do it. You know? Yeah. It's really tough to be like the guy who it's like you have, even though you have done your homework, it feels like you haven't because everyone else just knows this shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I did a lot of like practicing on my own and um, I mean, I, you know, so far so good. Haven't screwed up too bad on stage. One, uh, kind of, one kind of screw up of a bass line at, at Coachella, but we were ending the song anyway, and we just, you know, it, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but I was like, it was like nerve wracking. Like those first couple of shows, it was just like, yeah, I could imagine. 
But that's kind of cool, though. Like, it's good to force yourself into those situations, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of note information floating around up here. And then also, like, just part of that was arranging um, songs on the new record for live and, like, recreating um, recreating a lot of stuff that's, like, a mix of very, very tasteful, like, nice live gear on the record, you know, like CS80 bass patches. But we're not touring with a CS80, so... Yeah, you just got to approximate everything. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I've I've got kind of a Rick Wakeman style keyboard setup, but it's but it's nowhere near as insane as it could have been. Yeah, but that's cool. At least with like the new stuff, you're only like one step behind. Where by helping to come up with how those tones are going to sound live, you're kind of like catching yeah. up, I guess. You know, like well, that, it's the new stuff that's that's the easiest for me. Weirdly, yeah, that like, makes sense because like it's new for everyone rather than something they've played forever. Yeah, yeah. So I really look forward to playing those those songs, and we're not using a lot of sequencing either. There's like I'd say there's maybe two things in the whole set so far that are sequenced. Oh wow! So like any of the electronic stuff is like you know if it's like a sixteenth note bass line, for instance, I'm playing yeah, it, mashing those notes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm mashing those notes for six minutes, and it's like it's cool. It's like it's a workout. Yeah. That works for that band too. With so many people, you want a little bit of controlled chaos, you know, where it's better to have it kind of be slightly loose in a way, you know? Yeah, like we tried we tried sequencing stuff and that was something I got to work with Win and Regina on a lot was what stuff should be sequenced and what should not. And, you know, we did some Ableton work, but ultimately it's just, it's such a live band that yeah. it just doesn't make any sense. There's no push or pull. And for and it's kind of rare, I got to say it's like super rare for a pop band at that level to not be using tracks. Yeah, or absolutely. Mid, or a fucking MIDI. You know. I think I mean this sounds stupid, but I genuinely think it's true of like of a band at that level too. There's not that many bands that are about having fun on stage as much as Arcade Fire. Yeah. Um, it's way more fun to just play everything than to yeah, not play everything. Yeah, because then you know if you're not if you're not physically playing it, then the way you have fun is by I don't know you you yeah. have to it, it, beca- it becomes more of a performance oriented thing where it's like theater almost you know yeah you need to start having a choreographed dance instead yeah yeah exactly do they ever let you hit the big drums. I never get to hit the, I've never hit the big drum. I, the, there's one song I've been playing acoustic guitar up on the drum riser in front of a, um, empty drum kit. Uh, that's just up there. It's like the kit that regime plays on, uh, suburbs and tunnels and stuff. And, um, there's a breakdown and then I get to hit the floor time. Ooh. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's kind of a, that's a classic mid two thousands move floor Tom hitting. Yeah. That's like animal collective or something. <laughs> That's what yeah. Fred Durst did when he played Achy Breaky Heart. Oh, yeah, that shit was so funny. He's like occasionally hitting a crash and then just like hitting a floor time. I never thought of it that way, but basically Fred Durst was doing Animal Collective there. Good for him. Yeah, yeah he has a very just... 2000s indie uh, live <laughs> sensibility. I was just going to say that. Yeah. He's hitting big drums on stage. They yeah, should have a uh, song Billy Ray where... Cyrus and, and uh, Fred Durst channel Animal Collective in new performance. Yeah. Everybody should take turns hitting a big drum and going in a circle around it. That's right. You can call it the drum song. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Or like a giant steel drum, and there's like three or four people just playing different pitches on it. Yes. They're all gathered around it. Yeah, your job is to play this one note. Arcade Fire should do, uh, they should do a song that's like Stomp, where everyone's just like banging on a garbage can. <laughs> it could happen. It could definitely happen. Maybe maybe not in this iteration. Maybe the next one, you know? <laughs> you told me before that uh, you were also surprised about how, in terms of the crew and everything, basically no one sucks or is an asshole at this level. Yeah. Yeah, that that is something that um I kind of noticed before working with working with bigger bands but like but like yeah, these people are not just like like the crew are not just like consummate professionals, they're also like no one's a jerk. It's it's really weird. I feel like there's um there's a level just under this where every one of every member of the crew is an asshole, you know? Like <laughs> And probably, yeah, probably because they're being overworked and and maybe treated poorly by uh, shitty musicians, you know. For sure, it but, is true. Like once you're at the top of the heap, you get your pick of whoever you want for the crew, and so they're also get they're a getting treated the best, b making the most money, and then c if one person's an asshole, you could just fire them because you can always find someone better. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like this nice little rarefied air where no one's causing trouble for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it kind of feels like that extended to other things. It does really. It's it's interesting. It's interesting to see the sort of dichotomy between, um, like, touring with Wolf Parade or even Divine Fits, and and just the type of people that you run into versus this, where essentially, <laughs> essentially, you are if the, if there's anything shitty going on, you're totally sheltered from it. Yeah, that's a good point too. I didn't think about that. Like you're right. not only you're not only not responsible for like the day-to-day things, you're just not even aware of how those things are being addressed. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Like if the promoter is being insane or uh whatever, you're not going to hear about it until after it's been resolved. Yeah, that's interesting. If the food in the green room has botulism in it, you're not going to yeah. hear about it until later. <laughs> Until the until the royal taster has uh, uh, has expired, uh, and yeah, outside. Oh, of you got to get one of those. Yeah, no royal taster. The catering, I got to say, the catering's pretty good. Catering's amazing. Ooh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. No more sweaty hummus. No more sweaty hummus. I mean, there's still sweaty hummus, but you know, not as much. Yeah, they've it's just additive catering. Bit. They've got all the normal shit, but if you don't sweat nice your hummus, it's going to be too dry. Yeah, that's yeah, true. you gotta you gotta sweat that hummus. What else? I know another thing you were saying to me was that uh, everyone on the crew, again, because it's kind of rarefied, it's like this guy also works with Radiohead. This guy also works with Nine Inch Nails. Like, there's only so many people in this world. It's so tiny, right? Yeah, yeah. So the crew, um, a lot of the crew have like worked in the same circles and are like have become loyal to like. And which totally makes sense to me. And I mean, I think if I was doing crew work and all the people that I know who do crew work would agree, this is the best option. Like you find a, a unit that works for you and you, and you just continue working for them. <laughs> yeah, and you, absolutely. And you don't, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking about some of my, some of my friends who do front of house uh, and, you know, are constantly put in the position of having to be like, ah, oh, do I want to work with this new band? I don't know what they're like. I'm going to be, stuck in uh, a van with them for I'm, I'm just gonna be have to be around them for like six to eight weeks 
at a time. You know? Yeah. You know, which is always like a, it's a crapshoot. Um, but with this, but with this crew, yeah, they they all kind of know each other in this in this weird way. Like the front of house, Jim uh, does Radiohead as well, and I think these two bands are his main gigs, and he's amazing. You know, like he's yeah. I mean, very you couldn't active, have two actively, better actively mixing the set. Like yeah, I, I yeah. Uh, you know, first couple of shows we played, I was watching him set up, and I just kind of nerded out at like how he was approaching. Um, even just getting set up and stuff, it, it, like, like just total, <laughs> total part of the band in a lot of ways. And then, uh, and then the tour manager uh, is an incredible, uh, <laughs> just like a lifer, who tour managed Motley Crue during um, during their biggest sort of high high points. Yeah, right. and that's where we get around to like the weird coincidence with the. Uh common fortune kit uh subjects here yeah exactly i've been i've been picking his brains about uh motley crew on tour so and uh he agreed to come on the show so uh, oh nice yeah we're gonna have to do a whole episode getting into those stories but i know you had confirmed with him that the story from tommy lee's book about flying the plane was true yes tommy doesn't lie you can say a lot of things about Tommy, but I don't think he's ever lied. Well, what about the story about the porno chick squirting on the uh, mixing console? That so one's going to be harder to confirm, I think. I didn't Maybe ask him Maybe she about was just that. really nasty, and they had her in like a weird angle, like right in the booth. It would be very uncomfortable, <laughs> and you'd have to like sort of like tilt yourself a certain way to like get it to spray on the board. And... Can but we get maybe. another take on that? <laughs> yeah. Were, were there cameras in the studio? Do we know, like, I, I want to know the angles here. I think that one's going to be tough to find out, to ever verify, you know? But at least any s- tour story, maybe we've got an inside scoop now. Do you think yeah. there's still DNA on the mixing board? Because we might be able to <laughs> yeah. uh, to find the woman who did it. <laughs> it would track down what studio it was. Cold case. <laughs> See if we can swab it. But I mean, I got I to gotta say, like, if anything, just working like working with these people, working with people uh, like the TM and and the front of house has totally reinforced uh, my belief that uh, a, ba- a band stand like lives or dies. A band at this level lives or dies of the people you know on the crew. It's like a, it's like a team effort, right? Yeah, totally. You know, like, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's good. It feels good. I think too, like. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, like at some point, eventually it reflects on you of what kind of people you are as a band, who you attract around you. Of There's a reason why a really good front of house guy wants to work with Radiohead and Arcade Fire because none of those people are shitheads, you know? Yeah. Or like, yeah, I think exactly. it's not true necessarily when you start any creative thing because you have to have kind of like dumb luck to break through and who knows who's around you at that time and whatever. But over time, once you've been a band as long as that, it definitely becomes a reflection of you, how you treat those people and who they become. Yeah, you have to kind of find the right people or luck into them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, f- I feel like with, you know, we got lucky with Wolf Parade in that, like, we went through a couple of different front of house people and then landed on Sharon Levinson, who also did front of house for Arcade Fire um, for a long time. And, you know, she just instantly knew how to, how to mix the band and then same with like our two current we kind of rotate between uh two front of house people max and rena and they both 
they both get the band and like not just sonically but also how to deal with the band on stage because yeah. <laughs> every everybody i mean you're functionally insane sometimes when you're on tour so you're, you're gonna be a little baby bitch about stuff and it's just nice to have people who realize that and uh can work around it <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> yeah it'd be interesting though once you got to go on a full actual leg of a tour here with arcade fire then you're gonna be like, man, all these people suck. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I feel like I've spent enough time around them. I've, I've, it's like, it's gonna be great. Yeah, I think so too, man. It just seems like I've never heard any bad things about them as people. Either. Like my friend who runs a studio in Chicago had done some event for Win where I don't know if Win was like DJing or it was some kind of like thing where it was just him. And my friend was just like, he was like the nicest guy ever. He was so good to me, and he like treated me like a person and actually cared what I had to say and like. I don't yeah. know. I've just never yeah. heard anything bad about those people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm I'm just looking forward to like just from a musical standpoint like getting reps in, like being able to do more than two shows in a row, you know. Yeah, totally. That's like I, I feel like that's where that's where a band kind of comes to life is like the sixth show in and like everything is just dialed and like it's muscle memory so you can you can kind of push everything yeah that's more the place like i think the best thing is like you need to be slightly uncomfortable but mostly like you need to know the parts of the song so well that you can be uncomfortable about something else yeah like, ex- exactly like like the the sweaty hummus that you ate yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's it having a stomach ache can really add some spontaneity to a band's live show yeah before i go on stage i like to eat a big thing of like um room temperature garbanzo bean salad and then like just just some cold pasta whatever's farthest back in the fridge that's what i like to eat mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. tecate yeah 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 warm tecate alta actually i should say while i was while i was out on this last run i discovered tecate i don't know if it's i don't think it's here in canada but for the american market has made a delicious light beer called tecate alta that i highly recommend if you like Tecate, <laughs> I haven't tried that yet. If you like Tecate and also like Bud Light and wish there was a beer that tastes exactly like a mix of the two, then get Tecate <laughs> Ultra Alta. I think uh, we need a guitar for Arcade Fire that's a Tecate Alta guitar. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a very narrow silver guitar that says Tecate Alta on it. <laughs> <laughs> they should, I just thought, I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner, that like Miller Lite should make like uh, some kind of analog synth or something. <laughs> <laughs> should be a Budweiser should make um a sample based drum machine that's just the frogs and you, I was and, gonna say yeah <laughs> and you can't uh it's like the Dave Smith Tempest that three thousand dollar drum machine they put out like ten years ago you you can't change any of the samples on it it's impossible you'll break it <laughs> I want pads that are frogs. Ooh, that's a good idea. Touch. They the should velocity. call them lily pads instead. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Velocity sensitive lily pads and frogs. <laughs> Damn, that would make it so much easier to make music. <laughs> Seriously. Make it so much easier to make Budweiser commercials too. Yeah. Yeah, you could just pound them out. Budweiser, easy. Yeah. You're Bud, done. Why, sir? There's two. The actual frogs. They take a long time to say that stuff. Yeah. Well, I think we've moved past the you know the era where we have to find the perfect bullfrog um send them to uh send them to music school you know send them to juilliard (laughs) 
Yeah, we have people like Pusha T that we can just get to come in and do our stuff for free. Yeah, exactly. Make our jingles. Exactly. Pusha T actually made those noises for the frogs. <laughs> yeah, they he never no paid credit. him for it. He was what, like 19? He came into the <laughs> studio and he said, what's this for, Budweiser? And then they said, you can leave now. And then they just took what he said and chopped it up, pitch shifted it. Never paid him. Yeah, he had to pitch shift it back up to realize it was his voice. He put it in audacity. <laughs> <laughs> this was last week. Him and I were talking about it. Over a nice cold Budweiser. No, he doesn't like that company anymore. <laughs> yeah. He's a Tecate man. Yep. He's a Tecate Alta man. What do you think T stands for? Yeah, push a Tecate. He's always pushing it on people. Uh, you know, in, bet- in between these shows, I did go on um, I did go on a spiritual journey. Uh, journey with my buddy tim uh through the desert through the deserts of new mexico arizona and uh california and um i had a vision at the beginning of the trip that i was gonna find the perfect guitar in the desert i was like i had a picture of it in my mind um did you find it which kept getting crowded out by the miller light guitar because that's stuck in there but eventually (laughs) (laughs) the miller light guitar got pushed out and then the last day uh, I was in Flagstaff, New Mexico, and I went to this very small music store in a strip mall, and I found it. Um, but I, but I, I knew I was going to get this. I wanted to get Davoika guitar, and I, I, I found it. It's, uh, it's a 1945 Granada guitar with a volcano on the side of it, like a Hawaiian guitar. Oh man, that's sick. Yeah, 45. Wow. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think this vision was given to me. Um, because most of the hiking that we did at the beginning of the trip was close to the Trinity test site and Los Alamos, um, <laughs> specifically the part of Los Alamos called Acid Canyon, where which is the world's first nuclear waste dumping site. Um, it's where go. they it's where they threw all like like if they had a piece of uranium bubble gum that they were trying to make or whatever, then you know five scientists died and they're like, well, we can't do it this way. Um, they'd throw it in the canyon. You know, all the lab coats are in there. So I think my proximity to the radiation was like, it, it gave me the, the the proper vision that I needed to find that guitar. I bet if you went to where Graham Parsons was buried, people probably leave guitars there. You could just take one. That's actually... It's like when someone leaves uh, like statues and stuff at a cemetery, they're free. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Like just visit the graves of all these famous guitarists being like, I'm going to find something cool somewhere. Yeah, exactly. That's like yeah, a Larry, if there was like a Larry grave. David, like a curb your enthusiasm about a guitarist, that would be a good plot line. <laughs> be funny. Yeah, Dimebag's grave is just festooned with guitars. That's what you do. It's a pile of deans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People stopped buying them. They had to get rid of them. It's like the ET cartridges. After oh, he died, no one wanted those guitars. It's funny you should mention the ET cartridges because so after. Oh, yeah, another desert thing. Yeah, so get this. Uh, walking around White Sands outside of the Trinity test site, need to find a place to stop for the evening, drive into a town called Alamogordo. And I already knew that Alamogordo, New Mexico, was famous for um, like uh, high security stuff surrounding the test. And also, um, I think it was the Apollo 18 program. They... Um, they did a lot of testing for that out there too. What I didn't know is it's also the site of 750,000 ET cartridges being buried in their dump. Yeah. Classic story, dude. Yeah. 
kind of amazing that all these like all these little parts of American culture, like the uh, ushering into modernity and then the ultimate failure of modernity, in, <laughs> yeah, all at once, <laughs> all contained in this small oh, that is New really Mexico good. town. Yeah, it seems like a lot of Cold War stuff took place in the desert. Yeah, yeah, a lot of activity out there, and not as much anymore. Yeah, but Los Alamos Research Center is still open, and the town itself is is fucking completely bizarre. It's very clean. Uh, it's very quiet. It's bigger than I thought it would be. And Tim and I had this um, recurring thing where we basically like we wanted we'd rented a Nissan Maxima, uh, which is a very practical car. And Tim had found a short route over a mountain. And we we were like, all right, let's do this. Let's uh, assuming that it was a paved road um, with no like, you know, we were assuming that we would just be able to kind of drive through Los Alamos up the mountain and then down the other side. But what kept happening is we kept getting routed to the Los Alamos research center checkpoint, which is extremely scary. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it basically looks like a militarized border. Um, and then there are all these like kind of research facilities behind it and a big water tower that says Los Alamos. Um, and there's all these signs up saying like no drone zone or like must present ID. And uh, we, I think we just get, cause we're Canadian or whatever. I think we just got it in our head that if we drove towards the checkpoint, we would be shot <laughs> or like, <laughs> or at least, you know, like get into trouble. So we kept, we kept going around in circles and kept getting routed back to this checkpoint <laughs> that we were terrified of. And then we pulled over and realized that, all you have to do is show your passport and just like you could drive through the facility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine like, you know, even just when you cross the border normally and they're just kind of like being a dickhead once in a while, I could yeah. imagine them doing that to you guys. Oh, what are two Canucks doing down here, middle of the desert? Yeah, yeah. Just handing them my Communist Party of Canada uh, membership card. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here on a fact finding mission. I guess all they're working on in there is breast cancer research now. So oh, really? Lame. No, no portals. But you do something no, useful. Uh, yeah, that you guys they had should, aliens or something. I I feel like America would be more pissed that uh, Switzerland has the biggest hadron collider. Like I feel like they should be doing that there. You know. Yeah, we can collide way more hadron. Yeah, let's make the extra large hadron collider. XXL hadron collider. Yeah, put it out in the desert. Make it do whatever it does. Like hit two molecules together really hard. Yeah. We, we after after we drove through there we uh we went to uh monument valley which is on the border of utah and arizona and as soon as you kind of pull in off the highway and look at the monument valley is just a collection of like huge uh buttes and you know like uh sort of sandstone cliffs it's it's amazing but you look at it and you're like oh all of the roadrunner cartoons are literally set here like, <laughs> like it's the same buttes. Like they're drawing from photographs of Monument Valley. So you guys that, were inspired to instantly write a song based on that. Yeah, exactly. I about guess that a, was about like, a wily coyote. <laughs> that area was very prominent in American culture from like the eighteen seventies, eighties. Yeah, like John Muir and Teddy Roosevelt, and I guess that carried over into the cartoon age. I never really thought about that too much, but yeah, it's all said in in the the uh, the Great Plateau. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, you're there, and you just I I don't know that night, Tim Tim and I watched uh, a bunch of Looney Tunes, like nice. watched a bunch of Roadrunners. 
Roadrunner episodes, and it's, it's first of all, totally underrated uh, TV show. Um, that's prestige TV right there. Roadrunner. That's right. Season one through 30 or whatever. Solid, solid TV. And second of all- seasons back then? Well, it's on, what is it on? It's on like HBO Max or something like that. And it's it's like you can watch Looney Tunes and it's divided by seasons. So I guess it is prestige <laughs> Is it just by then? year or something maybe? I don't know. They seem all kind of mashed up because like season one has like their very first cartoon and then it jumps like three years and it's another like kind of not for kids black and white cartoon. Like there's a, <laughs> there's an introduction of Porky Pig that's like Porky Pig Porky Pig is kind of like two characters. It's a father and a son who are both pigs and both have a stutter. And they own a farm and they're praying they they're hoping it rains. Um and like the the father gives gives the the little pig some money to go into town and buy some seeds or something, but instead he meets a snake oil salesman uh and buys some magic magic pellets and then all the animals eat the magic pellets and chaos ensues. It's wow, it's that's kind of dark. It's also got like total class consciousness. Like the episode starts with the animals all going on strike, like they're they've unionized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That yeah. was based on uh, Steinbeck's novel Porky Pig, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about him and his son just trying to survive in tumultuous times. All the grifters yeah. and bad actors out there trying to yeah rip your trying last to, penny from your hoof. Trying to take them for a ride, take their can of beans. It's been a few years since I've watched all those classic Looney Tunes, but my friend Nick has some of like the archival like Blu-rays that are probably similar mm-hmm. to what you are watching. And I do remember a couple years ago watching the one where like all these little gremlins just beat up Hitler, <laughs> where he's like flying a plane. Yeah, yeah, Tim. And if, Tim was it features about that no one. like no well-known Looney Tunes characters at all. Do you well, think gremlins? That was, gremlins definitely. Uh, it was originated in Looney Tunes. Do you think? Do you think that's um, that's the inspiration for the Twilight Zone terror at fifty thousand feet with uh, William Shatner? Oh, is that the one where he keeps seeing something on the wing or whatever? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the little guys on the wing, and didn't the Simpsons parody that? They did. I think so. He should have kept seeing Hitler on the wing. <laughs> He's like, "Hey, there's Hitler out there." <laughs> Nobody is this a Luftwaffe me. plane? Yeah. <laughs> It was a domestic flight in Argentina. Yeah, there we go. He's just hanging out there. He loves the wind in his hair. He's like a dog. Yeah. Loves just sticking his face out with his eyes squinting. Yeah, Yeah. shakes his head back and forth. Oh, he's crazy. He's crazy, but they love him. See, uh, Dan, now that you're in Arcade Fire, you're going to, when you're on tour, you're going to meet Hitler's uh, secret son in Argentina or Tupac (laughs) when you're uh, maybe on some island somewhere. All these yeah, that's his right. daughter in Germany. All these uh, like uh, you know secret celebrities that normal people don't know about. Yeah, yeah the the uh, uh, the alpha list celebrities, the ones uh, the ones that exist on the outside of the material plane. It's going to be great. Um, like the Queen's half brother, stuff like that. Bob Hope, he's still Princess, alive. Princess Diana too. Yeah, they made a second one, but she wasn't ready for prime time. Yeah, she had to live in the attic of. Uh, Birmingham Palace, Birmingham, <laughs> Buckingham, Birmingham that's, Palace. That's where it should be. How about, how about a working Aussie class league. palace? Yeah. We need to move the capital to the north. It's long past time. Yeah, that's it's right. The real yeah, industrial move, base. Move the palace to Manchester. That's right. Fuck, I have to go to England next week. <laughs> Speaking oh, of really? fire in England. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to England next week. 
Um, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm conflicted about it. Like on one hand, I hate the UK, uh, and I hate being there, but on the other hand, uh, I'm more excited to go to London than I ever have been in my life. So, because I haven't been anywhere in so long. And yeah, it's I'm, nice to go somewhere rather than nowhere. And I have friends there now. Like Rylan is there. So, Ooh, that's right. Yeah. 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 And I think it's, t- I think this trip is going to, is going to break me of my um, irrational hatred of the UK. I'm going to fall in love with it. I'm going to get UK pilled. I'm going to come back home. and I'm going to miss uh, eel pie. They still sell that? Eel pie? Yeah. Yeah. God damn. It's, it's, still a thing there was I, I think there was a big thing around brexit that like eel farmers were getting fucked over where are all these oh, eels funny. how many uh, eels are there it's a boggy place there's the eels love the bog they're just in the river i guess they're just in the river yeah uh eels fresh from the thames they don't have any fish what is the fishmonger gonna do the, 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 the lowly... eelmonger's taking all the business <laughs> What what about the people who are collecting cockles and mussels, you know? Or the guys uh, collecting dormice from the bushes. Yeah. Arcade Fire's got to get their own eelmonger whenever they're in uh, England. Yeah. Yes. Just a large man standing with a bloodied apron and a butcher's block and a bucket of squirming eels in the corner of every dressing room in the UK. Oh, yeah. Dan, didn't you find a good article about you guys' Coachella performance to read to us here? I did. Um you know, the, one of the first rules, one of the first things you learn, like if you're in a band that is getting press um, and that press is fairly immediate is it's a really bad idea to like play a show and then go back to the hotel and then start looking for reviews of the set that you just played. Like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a sure way to make yourself insane. And like, don't go on the fan forums, like don't search Twitter. Just just don't do it. Fuck the fans. Yeah, yeah, it's bad, right. bad fuck idea. Fuck the fans. It's just going to brand motto. poison you. However. Um, yeah, Arcade Fire says, fuck the fans. <laughs> <laughs> They're famous for hating their fans, delivering a horrible live show that disappoints everybody. Not enough instruments, not enough members. Not enough enthusiasm. Um, but so after after playing Coachella, I was kind of like, ah, I wonder what people are saying. So so I looked and I found a website called SNBC that's... Uh, the letters NBC with the word uh, the letter S in front of it. So super. SNBC, yeah, Super NBC, the best. Um, this website is a uh, I think mainly like an Indian news aggregator that takes existing articles from the British press and translates them into Hindi and then back into English for their their English language site, right? So. Uh, there this was a is the review- only only website that reviewed the Arcade Fire show. Yeah, yeah it's really yeah. fallen off. Yeah. Um, so I, I figured out later that this is like a, this is just like a, a translation and retranslation of a review, and I think the Independent, the Irish Independent. Um, but it goes like this: <clears throat> Arcade Fireplace at Coachella overview, catharsis and anthems uh, at an intimate present from former pageant headliners. So that's, that's uh arcade fireplace, the, which uh, the band will be referred to for the duration of the article. Oh, cool. What is pageant? Yeah, and it's mean? true. I think Coachella is the pageant, right? They formerly headlined this pageant. Is that a synonym yeah. for festival? Uh, I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or did you guys do like uh, honey boo boo stuff at some point? No, 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 no. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a cinema synonym for festival for sure. There should be a catwalk at arcade fire shows though. So this article, like they, um, they've got some really good translations of the songs. So it says, uh, the band transitioned seamlessly from their new materials into a full throttle run of indie disco anthems. Neighborhood three energy out is adopted by revolt lies and the gang preserve <laughs> ooing melody lengthy after the band have completed taking part in it after, after an exuberant prepared to begin <laughs> prepared to, to begin, begin. Uh, butler takes over as an actual song title yes yes butler takes over the keyboard with chasson transferring uh transferring again behind the band's uh second drum kit Thanks a lot. We're so blissful to be here right now, says Butler. We first performed here in 2005 after we had been children. Now we no, we are not kids. Issues change. However, you can't possibly let change put you on down. It's okay. That's the lead into the suburbs. They got the name right. A tune which appears to have taken on additional resonance after the final uh, after the final two years of coping with unprecedented social change. And here's a quote from the lyrics. Typically, I can't consider it, sings Butler as the crowd joins him. I'm transferring <laughs> previous to sensation, which is sometimes I can't believe it. I'm moving past the feeling. Yeah, transferring previous to sensations, really. I good. think their version's better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It really like, comes off the tongue better. Typically, I can't consider it. I'm transferring previous to sensation. Sounds like a Death Cab for Cutie lyric. Or like the Decemberists. Yeah, maybe. it's so verbose. Yeah. Yeah, or the December, more like the Decemberists, maybe. It would be yeah. funny if Arcade Fire started ripping off the Decemberists <laughs> now for no reason. Like, do like a sea shanty. <laughs> yeah, make a concept album about like, yeah, sailors lost at sea. Yeah, 200 yeah. years ago. Yeah. This this article goes on to uh, refer to a new song as uh, Age of Anxiousness 2, Rabbit Gap. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbit Gap is Rabbit really Gap. good. Rabbit Gap, yeah. You, oh, that's what it should be called in the UK. Mind the <laughs> rabbit gap. Mind the rabbit gap. Yeah. Uh, they also refer to everything now as um, the whole lot now. <laughs> <laughs> Man, all really these good. changes are good. Yeah. One cool thing uh, that we did at the show that I'm very, very, very proud of uh, and happy about is that when we we, we played this new song called uh, Lookout Kid, and uh, which this article refers to as "Look out, child." <laughs> um, but we had, you know, those guys at the gas station, uh, at, at like um, auto body shops, the the big tall guys, the inflatable sort of wacky dudes, kind of. Yeah, yeah, classic. you know what I'm talking about. How do I explain oh, yeah, those yeah. guys? Better car call dealership Saul. guys. Better call Salt. Yeah, famously so, used in that show. So we got like a, an uh, a, like a whole line of them. Uh, in front of the stage, and they were, you know, they were deflated. Nobody, and during uh, the climactic part of that song, we inflated all of them, and they and they were waving their arms back in the air. It's just like you can't look at one of those things and be depressed, you know. I've always said they should put those everywhere. Put yes. it in front of McDonald's. Yeah, why not? Who cares? Right. Yes, yes. And there was and there was a really good moment where like one of them wouldn't inflate. Um, all the other ones inflated. And uh, one of the crew came over and just basically made it work. And when it went up, the crowd just erupted in cheering. So <laughs> that's awesome. 
It was like just creating this little bit of tension and drama, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I guess that's what I mean. It goes back to being like, once you know the songs really well, then you can focus on that kind of thing of like, oh, fuck, is it going to work? Oh, yeah, it does. Like, <laughs> exactly. You can be more invested in that moment once you know what you're, you don't have to think about the parts. Yeah, 100%. Now uh, the fans are going to expect those inflatable guys at every show now forever. Well, I think the problem is that I liked it so much that I'm uh, that I'm going to have to do it at Wolf Parade shows now. How hard are those to transport? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, deflated, like these are really big ones, like, like very, very large guys. And, uh, and deflated, they were, they're pretty heavy, like, like, like big, big tarp size, you know? Yeah. Speaking of things that the band doesn't have to worry about at that level, but someone's job is just calling up like car dealerships. Like, can we get some of your inflatable guys? That's right. Like, who buys those besides like car dealerships and stuff? You know, probably the first band to ever do it. I'm looking them up on Amazon now. Yeah, what's the biggest one uh, you can find, and how much are they selling it for? Um, let's see, sort by price, high to low. Yep. You can get a 26 foot inflatable snowman or a Santa, but okay, three hundred and fifty dollars is the most expensive inflatable man. For 26 okay. feet, that's pretty good. That's so like it's 18 feet. Whoa. 18. That's not as expensive as I expected. Package yeah. weight is 26 pounds. That's not too bad. Not too bad. That's with They're the blower. Probably made of some lightweight nylon. Man, now that you mentioned those Santa ones, Alex, I wish that Arcade Fire just had a bunch <laughs> of Santas for Coachella. That would be awesome. Do it or <laughs> do like a Halloween show where everybody has a costume. Now you're talking. Dressed as like Woody from Toy Story. Like, what, what's with that, man? I don't know. Halloween. It's Halloween, baby. It's Halloween. See the At least ton, like tunnels uh, mentioned snow in it. You could have Santas come up during tunnels. This is true. Yeah, that's a really Hall- good idea. Halloween costumes. Everybody's playing the Monster Mash. Ooh, there we go. You really should subtly talk them into actually covering the Monster Mash, like jokey at first, and then over the span of like two or three months, like more and more serious, <laughs> until there's a show booked on Halloween, and you're like, "Well, it's now or never." Well, is. yeah, exactly. Uh, we got a little extra time at rehearsal. Uh, you guys want to learn these chords, this song that I'm working on? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it. Don't look it I up. Wrote, I wrote it. Yeah, that's what the original Monster Mash guy had to do because he was touring with. Dion the and the boys. Belmonts, or the Beach Boys. <laughs> it was like, we got to do the scary song. They're like, no, man, we got to stick to the commercial stuff. We want to like, sing no, about I the swear, beach, scary songs. The Beach Boys are ready to go to that next level, the scary level. Mm-hmm. Blood all these, Beach All this music about malt shops has played out. People want to hear something terrifying. The yeah, Beach nobody... Boys are working on a crazy new concept album called Frown. <laughs> it's about being scared. Yeah, no one wants to hear songs about woodies anymore, you know? No, it's all about ghoulies. It's all about the ghouls, the ghosts. What this Beast Boys album asks is uh what's under the the sand and and the waves, you know? Lurking just beneath the surface. Yeah, for some reason um a Dracula was under there in the sand. He was well, on get- vacation and had to find a place to sleep. So he's down yeah. with the crabs. Yeah. That's what Draculas do when they go on vacation to the beach. They dig themselves a nice coffin-shaped hole in the sand. Uh, and then uh, they wait for the sun to go down. They have leeches instead of bats. That's the that's aquatic right. version of bats. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. Aqua Dracula. Now that's a scary guy. 
Yeah. You don't want to run into that guy while you're uh, night swimming, you know? Yeah, that's why they say you shouldn't drink and swim at night, because he'll come out. <laughs> that's right. Start that's playing why, pranks on you. Like, don't eat a large meal and go swimming. And uh, it's not because of what you think. It's not because you're going to get a cramp. It's because uh, you're going to get got by Aqua Dracula and his leech He will minions. show up, he will smell your breath, and he'll ask you if there's any left. Yes. And he's going to make I mean, a big stink when you say no. A shark yeah. is already pretty close to Aqua Dracula because it likes the scent of blood. It's got really sharp teeth. Aqua okay, but, Dracula is just the next level of shark, basically. Yeah, exactly. So vampires are a type of shark, essentially. A, ty- a type of land shark. Yeah, I could believe that. Well, a shark will eat more than blood. That's true. See, a leech is more like a Dracula because they only want blood. They don't want flesh. But a shark will have flesh. It only yeah, uses blood as a sign of flesh. If you dump chum into the water, the leeches are completely uninterested. Neighborhood number five, Aqua Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. They should reissue Funeral with that song in the middle of the track list. And Monster Mash has a bonus track. It's called Funeral, but nothing scary happens. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh See, it's funny because this is this is an idea where, like, with Wolf Parade, this would actually happen. <laughs> Someone would write a song about an Aqua Dracula, and it would make it onto the Mount Zoomer reissue. <laughs> well, you got to bring that energy to Arcade Fire until they cave in. That's right. <laughs> Our advice to you is just keep annoying them with annoying ideas. <laughs> keep bringing up Dracula. <laughs> constantly bringing up dracula uh asking to cover this song that no one wants to cover uh talking about sharks and how they relate to vampires have you you guys ever thought about how like dracula is like a shark but like better and more dangerous is dracula a shark or a leech if he is on the beach that's a great (laughs) couplet yeah oh yeah (laughs) start a song with that yeah that's the first line of neighborhood number five aqua dracula (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe we need to demo this song in uh, fortune kit for <laughs> yeah <laughs> show it to them see if they like it it's pretty much done already folks yeah here we wrote this for you guys <laughs> big ther- big theremin solo in the middle oh of course yeah how could we go without but yeah i mean i guess uh it's good to catch up on your exploits out there yeah th- i mean the next time i talk to you guys i'm gonna be in uh I'm going to be in the UK, for yeah. better or for worse. You'll have to see how it's going out there, whether uh, the country has improved. And if your impression of it is better than it was before, that means that Brexit worked and Boris Johnson delivered a big victory. That's Let's right. Let's go, Boris. I have an, I ha- I have an idea, because, um, you know, like the my other podcast, Bottleman, the co-host, is in, uh, is in London. Um yeah. So I'm going to be meeting Riley for the first time and uh, in person, you know, and we were like, we got to do a special episode, like, you know, kind of live together. And I came up with this idea where we go to the British Royal Museum and I attempt to touch as many mummies as possible, (laughs) you know, like just, just to see if they're dry or like papery or if they're like kind of crumbly and moist. They're like the the security's like, hey, you brash American, don't touch that. And you're like, oh, I'm Canadian. They're like, okay, touch away. Carry on then. Um, and the and the title of the episode would be Mummy Touchers. <laughs> I think you got to do it. Mums yeah. net. 
Yeah. That's exactly. what that's short for. Mummy's net. Mummy's net. Yeah. Mum's net. Um, they won't, uh, but nobody, nobody seems to be that into it. They think, uh, they think I might get deported or get into trouble. So, you know, we'll probably just have Rylan on and talk about bad British food. I think it's good publicity though, to get deported for touching mummies. I think that's the cursed. most. That's what like are the they most so scared of? Rock and roll thing I could do is like, <laughs> like you know, the stories about like uh, who the fuck is that guy from the Libertines that I uh, who was oh, dating Pete Darty? Yeah, like him getting deported from Norway for like trying to buy heroin. Uh, you know, all just that all the famous rock and roll deportations, and then getting deported from the UK for touching a mummy. <laughs> Yeah. Stealing a mummy out of the British Museum and then throwing it out of a hotel room window. <laughs> I don't even want to steal it. I just want to touch it. And the entire <laughs> trip is just like you lose money on it. Yeah. 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 It's true. Like paying the hotel back and paying the museum back for the mummy. Too much rock and roll lore is just like, oh, we were so fucked up and there was a bunch of strippers or something. It needs to be like much more hijinks based, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah, or if I got the mummy's curse and then passed it on, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, don't go to Arcade Fire show. You're not going to get COVID, but you might get the mummy's curse. It must have been so depressing having to tour with Keith Moon, like the 37th time he's thrown a TV out of a hotel room window. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like and the manager has to sucks. deal with it. It's like, do you have to do this every time? It's not even yeah. fun. Yeah. And there's just so much like. There's there's the act of throwing the TV out the window and the catharsis of uh, the smashing glass and the TV falling and, and 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 smashing on the ground, and then there's probably just hours and hours and hours of like the tour manager sitting in like a shitty room in the hotel while the hotel manager like draws up a bill. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Some then, poor like service worker has to clean this up. Yeah, and you got to pay all this money. And promise so to never do it again. And like, yeah, rock and roll is awesome. Rock and roll will never die. Unlike a mummy, <laughs> exactly. Fuck mummies. Fuck Just mummies. Like, touch fuck mummies. Mummy. Mummies took the L. All right, but uh, yeah, next time we convene, hopefully we can ask you about the time you touched the mummy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>